the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. First thing I'd probably like to say is, you can't reach me on that number today. <laughs> I had to pre-record the show. The, uh, but I appreciate you t- uh, tuning in today. I've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. There's a, uh, a lot of things happening in the uh, financial markets, as always. And a lot of the, there's a lot of good news out there. I mean, a lot of good news. I know people are nervous right now. They're, they're always nervous, by the way. Um, there's always a recession coming, just like there's always winter coming and there's always spring coming. Trying to guess at when exactly it's going to land. (laughs) Very difficult and uh, if not impossible. So there are so many good things that are happening today that uh, I just can't emphasize enough how many, uh, you shouldn't be selling your stocks and going to cash. This is not a good time to do that. Anticipating the next correction anticipating the next um big blow up is is kind of like predicting the next time the browns are going to win by four touchdowns yeah very difficult to do <laughs> to say the least so anyway what, what kind of stuff am i talking about well i'm talking there's a lot of stuff with the trade and, and i just want kind of wanted to spend a couple minutes to put this in perspective and near the end of the show by the way you want to stay tuned to this because the last segment of today's show i'm going to talk Specifically about some individual stocks and uh, momentum investing. It's a uh, the lookout for the bull website is just about ready to go. In fact, if you go there, you can see it now. Um, it's not completely functional yet, but the vast majority of it has been done. So I'm really excited about that. We'll be talking about that every week. Um, it's fun, and I it's one of those hobbies that can actually make you money. Very rare. Most hobbies cost you a lot of money. Um, especially if you're, uh, yeah, you know what? I'll forget that crap. <laughs> I was going to say something smart alecky, but I, I think I'll just keep it to myself. <laughs> anyway, we'll be talking about that later on in the show and, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get that, that site completely functional in the next, oh, at, at least in the next 10 days. I know it'll be up in the next 10 days. So first thing I wanted to talk about, you know, China, the, uh, the trade war. When you look at how much they're talking about, you know, I, I see everybody likes to try to blow things up and make them seem a lot larger than they really are. So you're talking about somewhere around $120 billion in extra taxes. Uh, well, I have news for people. 
the economy is around 22 trillion. And a trillion is a thousand billion. So 122 billion, not a lot. <laughs> That's really not a lot. Uh, it's the, uh, the equivalent of, let's say you had $22,000 and you're going to have to pay an extra 122 bucks for something over a year. Okay. That's a, uh, is that really that like earth shattering? I, I don't think so. Is it going to have an impact? Certainly. It'll have an impact on, on certain people. And, uh, you know, if you're selling soybeans and China was one of your biggest customers and now you're not selling quite as many, that that's a problem. And, uh, and I'm all for the United States government stepping up and helping those folks out. You know, that's a, uh, that's what we should do. That's what the Chinese government does. <laughs> they, they, they help their industries out when they start doing things that are going to hurt them or we start doing things that are going to hurt them. They step in. And I know that's not the, the purest form of capitalism, but guess what? Nothing's perfect. And I think it's a, a good thing to do. Uh, whether you like it or not, I don't, it doesn't really matter that much to me. It's, it's really, quite frankly, as a percentage of the, the total it's it's not all that much, and I you know I feel bad for the uh, soybean farmers. So yeah, I'm I'm on, I'm on your side. Uh, let's step up, help them out. Make sure that uh, the actions that we're taking aren't going to put any of those guys out of business. That that farming is a really tough industry. A lot of the other industries that they're talking about are mostly you're talking about devices, electronic devices. You know, and if a device, a thousand uh, dollar device, ends up going up by three hundred bucks, is that going to slow down purchases, yeah, it'll slow it down. It'll make people think twice. The, uh, but I think it's kind of a necessary thing. I really do. I think the uh, Chinese have gotten away with an awful lot of stuff for way too long. And by the way, what, what's really interesting about this, they're, they're not targeting uh, sectors that could hurt them with their taxes, with their retaliation taxes. They're, uh, in fact, they're staying away from the biggest um, area that they need a lot of help in and have become one of our biggest customers. And that's the import of energy. China hasn't raised tariffs on uh, energy products. And the United States is the person that or the country that they import most from. And think about that. The uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. Let's see here. I'm, I'm just going to read this from the U S news and world report. China in 2018 surpassed the U.S. as the world's largest importer of crude, boosting its supplies as domestic production declined. As recently as February, imports surged by a jaw-dropping, jaw, I can't even say that, <laughs> jaw-dropping, 22%, and then last month left by 11% again. China's decision to date uh, to not impose tariffs on U.S. crude oil in part reflects the importance of U.S. supply to help China meet its crude oil demand. Did you know that the United States now is a net exporter of crude oil? First time, I believe first time in uh, decades, maybe the first time ever. I'll have to go back and recheck that fact. But yeah, we used to import some of our oil. Talk about crazy. All the oil. Well, well, we didn't know. That, that's the bottom line is the technology in that industry, we've talked about this on the show many times, has improved dramatically over the years. Anyway, the uh, uh, China is one of the largest destinations for U.S. crude, so they're one of our largest export partners in that industry. 
And they really, they've kind of left that out of the loop because they don't want that going up. They're very dependent on that, as you can imagine. You got 1.3 billion people, roughly nearly four times the size of the number of people in the United States. They're going to be importing an awful lot of oil and doing something. By the way, if they put a tax on that, you can bet Russia and uh, the other suppliers are going to notice that maybe try to raise their prices a little bit. So that puts a big squeeze. <laughs> Isn't this amazing? You know, they have to just, you have to be so careful no matter what you do. And I, I think back to, oh, who was it? Um, Isaac Newton. He was so far ahead of his time when he said that every action has an opposite and equal reaction. See, the thing is, you can't always measure the reaction because sometimes it's spread out over a large number of participants. But sometimes you can feel it. But you can bet that every action has an equal reaction to it. I just think, uh, how, how brilliant was that of that guy to notice something like that hundreds of years ago? <laughs> that's, that's mind-boggling. Anyway, so we've got, a, uh, uh, yeah, we've got a, an upper hand on some of the people, I mean, the country in China. One of their biggest trade partners, you know, it, it's very difficult uh, to enter into these talks. But when you look at what's actually happening, it, it's significant, but it's not super significant. You're talking about $120 billion roughly in new tax revenue, which is really not all that much. I mean, $120 billion revenue in revenue versus a, uh, an economy that's over $20 trillion. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like 120 bucks out of 20,000. You know, is it compl- is it really significant? Mm, it's it's okay. You know, it, that's a uh it, I guess it depends. Some people get upset about a lot of stuff. And something even as minor as something that's like less than a half of a percent of GDP, less than one half of 1%. You know, if you're upset by that then you're probably not investing in stocks, that's for sure. <laughs> Because stocks have a daily range of nearly 2%. When you took, take the, the bottom and the top, and over a week, it is at least 2%. Over a month, it's closer to 4 to 5%. That's the average monthly range of stocks. And by the way, that's always changing. Sometimes it's down 5% in a day. Sometimes it's up 5% in a day. So, And this is why when I look at numbers like the... Uh, taxes that are going to be levied on by these tariffs, and I'm looking at how small they are, I'm like, wow, it just doesn't seem like a lot. Especially when you see that the stock market's fluctuating more than the total amount that will recover in taxes in five years in an hour. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to be all that much. Anyway, that's, that's kind of good news. And there are a lot, lots of other things that are good news. I attended a, attended a conference recently. And they were talking about how energy is actually uh, one of the biggest growth areas. And I get it. It's one of the biggest growth areas in the worldwide economy. I understand. It's actually shifting. The efficiencies that they're finding in both solar, uh, in um, wind, and the uh, uh, alternative fuels, are, they're, they're leaps and bounds. And when you talk to people about this kind of stuff, everybody, everybody's 
kind of negative about it. And that's wrong. You shouldn't be. This is a real thing. And you think about it. I remember reading an article uh, that was written. It was actually on the, it was a story on the front page of the Cleveland Press. And it was in the early 1900s, right around the time that uh, World War II ended. And they were talking about tractors. And nobody wanted tractors. Nobody wanted tractors on, on farms. They said it's going to put all those farmers out of business. All the field hands are not going to have jobs. Well, you know what? Um, I'm pretty sure that was a good thing. In the long run, it was a really good thing. And so anyway, at, at one point, this tractor manufacturer decided uh, that they would go and meet the farmers who had invited them to compete against the mules in a plow. And the day that they decided to compete, the temperature got up to over 100 degrees. The mules died in the field. The tractor kept plowing. <laughs> yeah. And, but people were really, really resistant to change. They just didn't want to change. By the way, they, resist, they resisted trains the same way. They even, they even uh, started talking about that you know, trains were maybe an invention of the devil. Literally. That's what they were saying. That because the smoke and the cinders that came out of the stack of a train kind of reminded them. <laughs> and uh, you know what they wanted us to use? Canals. They wanted us to stick with the canals. Yeah, because we had built, we had spent millions and millions of dollars building all these canals. It could only uh, it was mainly just the eastern part of the United States, and never mind that you had to pull the, the boats with a mule who was about to uh, you know be sacrificed in the competition against a, a tractor. <laughs> they were actually very far apart, but anyway, so the bottom line is. People have always resisted change. And when you think about how far we've come and you think about how far we're going, how fast things are developing now relative to way they've, the ways that they have developed in the past, it's pretty exciting. That's an exciting thing. Unemployment at 3.8%, that is mind-boggling. When I was way back, you know, I'm not even going to tell you how long, ago, how long ago it was because it makes me feel bad. <laughs> but when I was in college... They taught us that a 5% unemployment rate was unattainable, that it was utopian, that it was not sensible to think in terms of having a 5% unemployment rate. I wonder what those professors, if they're still alive, think now. Now that unemployment's been 3.8, 3.9, and looks like it's probably even going to go lower because of all the new industries that are opening up. New industries, new uh, the developments in existing industries. Did you know that solar panels have, have averaged an increase in efficiency of 15% a year in the past decade or so? I mean, think about getting a 15% annual pay raise every year. Now that here's music, i got to take a real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. There is no ocean that can't
And we're back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Billington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420. You can also get a copy of this on my website, BillingtonCapital.com, and you can find it on the Fishes podcast uh, area of their website, 955thefish.com. Uh, I, and I did want to take just a second to talk about the upcoming seminar that we have. And if I could find the, uh, the date, that would be awesome. <laughs> I am not on my website. Yeah, it's uh, the 14th. Okay, September 14th. Just got my uh, high sign. <laughs> so it's the 14th. It is a Thursday, and we are going to uh, actually go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com, to sign up for it. Um, actually, I think it's, it's not the 14th. It's actually the 12th. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's Thursday the 12th, and you go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com, to sign up. The things that we're talking about here today, I'm going to give you some take-home stuff that you can bring with you. I remembered, well, hopefully I remember, the, to bring the calculators this time. <laughs> I ordered these calculators like two months ago. And, uh, they didn't make it for that seminar, the first seminar, and I forgot them for the last one. So I've got all these calculators. If you're going to come, I'm going to show you how to tell whether a stock may be overvalued or not. And if it takes you more than 60 seconds, it's because you're goofing around. Or you haven't seen the seminar, <laughs> one of the two. So uh, it, it's not, you know, this is nowhere near as difficult as people make it out to be. I, I get it. You know, it's, it's hard because stocks fluctuate a lot. I was reading quotes by former masters. Some of them are still with us. Some of them aren't. But Ben Graham, who was Warren Buffett's graduate school teacher, liked to say that in the short run, the stock market was a voting machine. In other words, what's most popular goes up the most. Not always do those companies deserve to be going up because he said in the long run, it's a weighing machine. How much value did you create? And I thought that's pretty interesting. It's pretty deep too, especially for those days. They didn't have computers to look up stock quotes. They had to look at a ticker tape. And oftentimes the ticker tape might have been a couple hours behind. Can you imagine that? Yeah, unbelievable. But they invested anyway, and they did very, very, very well. And one of my other uh, favorite authors, or favorite money managers who became an author, his name is Peter Lynch. Uh, a lot of young people have no idea who that guy is, which I think is really funny. And uh, he started managing a fund for Fidelity called Magellan, and I believe it was 1976. And he managed it for about 13 years. And ten thousand dollars invested became somewhere around three hundred thirty thousand. He's the only portfolio manager, the only mutual fund manager ever to, to make that happen. <laughs> and uh, there are lots of reasons why that won't happen, or probably won't happen again. Um, but that being said, you know he left a lot of really, really, I think, uh, helpful information behind. Still does. He still talks occasionally, but. I just left some of his quotes, so I, I thought I would go through a few of them here. And, and one of them is that the trick is not to learn to trust your gut feelings, but rather to dis discipline yourself to ignore them. Think about that for a second. Yeah, I have a big couch. in right in right When you come into my office, it's right on the right-hand side as soon as you walk in the door. Now, when I get a feeling about something, I like to go and lay down on that couch until that feeling goes away. <laughs> Sometimes it's a couple of hours. <laughs> and, and basically what I'm saying is the same thing he's saying. When you get a feeling about a company, 
uh, Beyond Meat yeah, comes to mind. Good company. Numbers are not there yet. Uh, Amazon was a good company before it crashed 95%. was a much better buy when it was down 95%. (laughs) And it took 10 years to recover from. Uh, I like Amazon, by the way. As a company, I really like Amazon. As a stock, it's okay. Right now, I think it's very okay. Uh, It's been better. But you have to kind of learn how to divorce your feelings from the stock market and kind of look at it from a mathematical approach is basically the way I like to look at it. And he did a lot of that too. But um, let's see. I'm going to uh, go right to that page that I was going to. Yeah. Stand by your stocks as long as the fundamental story of the company hasn't changed. And by the way, that that's easier said than done. Uh, he also said, whenever you invest in any company, you're looking for its market cap to rise. This can't happen unless buyers are p- willing uh, are paying higher prices for the shares, making your investment more valuable. Um, this is one I like a lot. People who succeed in the stock market also accept periodic losses, setbacks, and unexpected occurrences. Calamitous drops do not scare them out of the game. There's another one. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a, that's probably ninety percent of what you need to know, right there. The other ten percent, you can take a look at the uh, sixty-second test. I actually developed that after reading his books, looking at a bunch of material, and going, "Wait a minute, there's the." Uh, he, he didn't talk much about that. He didn't talk much about the actual financial statements in any of his books. Actually, he stuck more kind of to the stories. Uh, I think one of his things was also don't invest in a company that you can illustrate with a crayon. <laughs> that was, I thought that was pretty clever. I know it exactly what he meant by that. And, uh, you know, oh, a lot of other things. I'm, I'm basically I, I, having a really tough time remembering right now. Don't get old. But yeah, but the uh, it talked about investing with your head, not your stomach, uh, looking at things practically. Um, it talked about knowing the companies. If you don't know much about the company, and if it's not fairly simple, you should probably have to, shouldn't invest in it. And that, that's, a, that's a big one. So why do I t- keep talking about individual stocks when most of what I do is funds? Because the funds are made up of individual stocks. And it doesn't give you the excuse not to know what you're doing. That's a, that's a bad idea. And I'm sure he would concur with this. If you don't know anything about stocks, how could you possibly know how the fund is selecting their stocks? You couldn't. And the de- description that you would have would be the description that you're not even reading because hardly anybody gets the prospectus anymore. They just look up the past performance on, over the past one, three, and five years. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's what we should do. No, that's not what you should do. <laughs> that is the absolute opposite of what you should do. You should look at performance only after you know how they're selecting the funds. Because the funds that have done the best best in the past one, three, five years, I promise you, they're going to be the funds that just got lucky. That's what's going to happen. If I look at the, the, the list of funds that have done really well right now over the past year, and I look at the holdings, I go, wow, nine out of 10 of those funds just got lucky. What do I mean? They were investing in stocks that are super speculative and those stock, and they hit, they came in. So they gambled and won. I'm not a big fan of gambling. Really, 
I'm not. And the stock market shouldn't be. A lot of people compare it to casino mainly because they don't understand it and they don't understand how it works. But the bottom line is you have to know what your funds are doing if you plan on being successful in the long run, and, uh, or at least helping you be successful, and knowing when to make a change. When should you make a change? I can give you some math that we'll go through at that workshop that'll show you uh, basically when you might want to make a change. And it's called rebalancing your portfolio. But there, and there are some other times that if you take a, a look at the history of the market, you take a look at valuations on stocks, you go, wow, this is, uh, this is not good. I need to make a change. If something has gone up four or five years in a row, and then you start looking at the holdings in that stock, you do the 60-second test on the holdings in that stock fund, and you, you realize that five out of the 10 stocks that make up the 10 largest positions are overpriced by 150%, you know what I would do? Get out of that fund. It's, uh, you don't know. You may not be selling it at the top. You might not even be remotely close to that, but I can promise you this. When half of the top 10 stocks are selling for more than twice what they should be, under normal conditions, and that's what we're going to talk about at the workshop, then that fund is extremely high risk. By the way, that's when most of the people are investing in it. That's when the vast majority of the public are, are making new purchases in that fund. Why? Because it's done so well over the past 12 to 18 months that it's made the three and five year returns look really good. People don't realize that all the performance came in the last 18 months and they gambled and they won. So you're betting on somebody being able to continuously gamble with your money and get lucky. Boy, that makes you comfortable, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't. I, I, I really I have a hard time investing that way. If, if you don't understand why something does what it does, how it's doing it, leave your money in the money market. That, that's what I would do. If you can't understand why, leave it in the money market. And uh, I hear this uh, a lot and uh, you know, I'll, I'll stop talking about this now because I'm sure I'm probably boring people completely to death. <laughs> but one of the uh, things that uh, uh, I've been taking away from this market, you know, that if you look at the S&P 500, it's flat now for well over a year, and uh, which is kind of good because a lot of those stocks were getting to those levels where they were ahead of themselves, like by a lot, you know, 25% or so, which in my book is a lot. But now you look at how well they've continued to grow, mostly technology, and the share prices are not all that much higher than they were back in 2017. We're getting close to 2020 now. The S&P's price is only up 4% from where it peaked in 2017. I know that has a lot of people upset because if you look at 2016 through the end of 2017, that looked really good was awesome. But then if you go from 2014 to 2017, it's flat. And people, why did that happen? That never happened. Uh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> I'm looking at the chart as I say that. Yeah, so it's the, uh, and, and this is the way that market moves. It'll go sideways very, and it's not a steady sideways. It's a volatile sideways. Corrections of 10, 15, 20%. And then it'll bust out and start to run. And then it'll start doing that all over again. And uh, occasionally, you get a really, really big drop. You know, 
one that's more than 20%. And that's the number one reason people don't make it in investing. They let those short-term gyrations shake them out. You just can't, you can't allow yourself to do that. There's a really easy way, incidentally, of trying to estimate how much uh, risk is in your portfolio. That's another thing that we'll go through at the workshop coming up on the 12th. And you can go to my website, Bullington Capital, to sign up for that. Yeah, because we're going to cover these things are very important. These are incredibly important, especially now with interest rates being so low. And there are some steps that you should be taking with your fixed income portfolios. We made adjustments a little over a year ago. We're making another adjustment actually next week. We've got it planned. We're going to be doing rebalancing. We're going to be shortening up our maturities on the bond funds that we hold. Big reason for that. I'm probably a little bit early. So don't panic. You're not too late. uh, I think you should be shortening the maturities a lot. We're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back from the commercial break, but we're also going to talk about the Look Out for the Bull website that is just about ready to turn. It's actually there, but we're actually going to turn it on and start sending out the daily emails somewhere in the next 10 days. So, And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as soon as we come back from these commercial messages. And uh, also how we select the stocks, why we do what we do. There's a uh, uh, a lot of logic that goes into that. By the way, logic is better than emotion. And I, I like to say math over emotions. When you're using math to t- kind of make decisions in, in financial markets, it's really about 95% of what you need. 95% of what you need is actually mathematical. The other 5% is all personality. And we're going to talk about what those uh, personality characteristics are like that you need. By the way, it's not like you can't develop them. And as soon as we come back and I hear the music, we got to take a real quick commercial break. You listen to Bill Bullington right here on 1420 The Answer. Stay tuned. The other day I was thinking to myself, made a list of all my mistakes. Oh, I wish I could have run to you and tell you all about my heartbreak. And I wonder to myself, wait a minute, am I even on the right path now? Had a couple wins, but I got knocked down. But I know that you are here right now, and you say, Sometimes you lose, sometimes you win. Ooh, you gotta get up, up again. back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420. You can download a copy of this on iTunes if you'd like. Just go to the Bullington Capital Report. You can also go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com. You can listen to it there or uh, download it from there. You can also sign up for that seminar we have coming up September 12th. That's going to be at the uh, Tri-C's Corporate College. I think this is going to be one of the better ones I've had in an extremely long time. So I'd invite you to come out. There's no cost to attend. However, seating is limited. And we're going to be talking a little bit uh, over the next few minutes about the launch of the Lookout for the Bull website, which uh, within the next 10 days, you can go there now and you can read about a lot of the stuff that I'll be talking about um, 
going on in, you know, I don't know, probably till the end of my career uh, in investing. A lot of the things I'm going to be talking about are very old, incidentally. In fact, they're so old, very few people that used this stuff on a daily basis are alive today. <laughs> and if they are, they're really old. You know, they, they make me look really young, which makes me feel good. <laughs> so anyway, the techniques there, I, I think it's, it's a really good idea for people to learn about this stuff. Uh, you can learn so much from the stock market. You learn so much faster with the material that we're going to be uh, putting up there. And, and a lot of it's free. You don't even have to subscribe to it. Uh, so what is it? What is Look Out for the Bull? It, it's basically, there's a, a style of investing called momentum investing. And you're using price movement as a gauge, as your primary gauge. So, which flies in the face of the value investors who are out there saying, no, no, you got to figure out how much the company's worth and then pay less for it and, you know, sit on it for 10 or 12 years or however long it takes to show a decent profit. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of kidding. Um, that is what they say. And, uh, and it does work. And I have funds that do that. I have investment funds that are looking at stocks, looking at their valuations, trying to figure out when they're undervalued, they're going to add them to the portfolio. They're doing it with math. When they go up in price, the fund will actually get out of those stocks. And uh, that's, a, that's one of the big, the super hard things to do for most people that are investors that, that aren't professional investors. They, they buy a stock, it goes up a lot, and they never want to sell it because you know, they're anticipating that that's going to keep going on forever. That's why one of the biggest reasons I'm putting this out, the lookout for the bull, when you start looking at share prices and appreciation and how long a stock can go sideways, it gives you a, a, a whole other appreciation for stocks. It's going to increase your knowledge about investing dramatically. I'm, I'm looking at something. This is Apple. Okay, If I look at Apple, and I love Apple products, by the way. i got a ton of them. Actually, I'm wearing an Apple watch right now. But if you invested in Apple in September of 1987, September, remember the market peaked in October, 87, dropped 20% in a day. It would have been 2004 before Apple, when Apple actually got to the same price that you had paid for it in September of 1987. 2004. You know, that's almost like Methuselah-like. You'd have to be around that long to be able to show a profit in that stock. And by the way, Apple is one of the best stocks, you know, for performance. And that's why I'm pointing it out because this is one of the best stocks. And it was 17 years <laughs> sideways, except that it really tore you up because the stock had actually gone up a lot and gone down a lot multiple times during that time period. So, and you wouldn't know this if you didn't see the charts that I'm going to be showing at the, at the seminar. And uh, this is the, the main reason that I do this. And Apple's not alone. I mean, you think about it. Back when I was in college, Walmart could do no wrong. Walmart was the Amazon of its day. And Walmart is a great company. It's a great company one of the most successful retailers that's ever existed on the planet. 
So if you looked at Walmart in the year 2000, and then you looked at Walmart in the year 2016, it was selling at the same price in 2016 that it had sold for in actually in 1999. And that's one of the greatest companies that's ever existed. So you think, well, Billy, you're just picking on these guys. You're picking, they're cherry picking. All right, well, here, let's go to Amazon since we brought that up earlier in, in the show. Amazon peaked in 1999. Actually, it dropped from 1998 to 1999. Hold on a second. It had a 62% drop. <laughs> Makes it up, goes to a new high. Everybody's going, oh, yeah, this is it. This is it. It's going to keep going. And then it goes down 95%. Now, when people look at this, in fact, there are people, a couple people that are pretty close to me that looked at that and they said, well, yeah, but look at it now. And I'm going, okay, so you put $10,000 in there. Let's say you put a million dollars in there. It's down to $50,000. It takes you nine years, uh, actually 10 years to get your money back. 10 years of torture. You're down, you, let's say you only put $10,000 in there because it's all you had. When it's down to 500 bucks, how do you feel? <laughs> how do you feel? You're not being honest with yourself. You're looking at the chart. You're saying, you're seeing what happened and you're projecting that out into the future. Bad idea. There's a reason Amazon recovered. There's a reason that it went higher. And by the way, its price at some point in time was actually very reasonable and incidentally, Amazon is a stock in more than one of the funds that I hold. I've actually owned Amazon this stock. Overall, it's been profitable. Did I buy at the bottom and sell at the top? No. I'm not even going to try to do that. I know how pointless that is. And that, that's one of the uh, uh, things when I was talking about psychologically, why this is so hard psychologically. We, everybody wants to be a perfectionist. Man, being a perfectionist, you know what you should do? You know what everybody that wants to be a perfectionist should do to kind of cure them of that? First thing is open a brokerage account. Secondly, get married. <laughs> you, will, you will find out very quickly how imperfect you are in both of those scenarios. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I shouldn't, I shouldn't really tease like that, especially with my success rate in one of those. <laughs> but, uh, but that's how you learn the, uh, and uh, learn the hard way. School of Hard Knocks, yeah, and stock market is, you're going to learn, you know, it, you're going to learn. If, you, if you're going to be successful in the stock market, you're going to learn. You're going to learn to be tolerant. You're going to learn to be patient. You'll, be, you'll learn to be a better person, actually. It'll make you a better person. One of two things typically happens. You either become a better person or you quit. That's generally what happens in, in the stock market. It literally improves your personality. It improves your likability. Why? Because it develops humility. <laughs> when, when something you just knew was going to happen blows up and ends up costing you money. By the way, if you've spent any time in the stock market at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just going to make you a better person. It's going to make you more tolerant. It's going to make you more patient. Or not. You can leave. That's what, a lot, that's what happens oftentimes. So uh, I like to laugh about it. I mean, it, there's actually not much else you can do about it <laughs> because it's, you know, it's tough. And if it weren't uh, hard, it, you know, there'd be no profit in it. 
there would be no way to make money if it was super easy. I mean, think about it. What kind of jobs pay the most? Those jobs that you have to go to a lot of school for. The ones you have to uh, really suffer for. Now, there are people that have made an awful lot of money power washing decks and sidewalks. I'm not sure you have to go to college to learn how to power wash a deck or a sidewalk. But I am pretty sure that you have to go to college or at least have people who work for you that, that have gone to college to run the computer systems that schedule all those appointments, handle all your billing, do your payroll, um, I'm not pay your insurances. That requires an extraordinary amount of knowledge and effort. And there are people that have gone to school for long time periods that are doing that to help those people make a lot of money. So bottom line is, it's hard. But it's not impossible. And that's the thing. It's not impossible. It is impossible if you go into it with the wrong impression. And uh, I just want to dedicate my whole, the remainder of my career to bringing this education to people. It'll make you a better investor. It'll make you more tolerant with the funds you have now. The funds that you're holding on to now, they may be fine. They may be perfect. They may be the exact thing that you need. But you might be upset because you haven't made much money in the last couple hundred, I'm sorry, in the past couple of years. It'd be really rough if you hadn't made money in the past couple hundred years. <laughs> that would be hard. <laughs> but if you haven't made money in the past couple of years and you're in the, and the funds are doing the right things, then, then relax. You know, that's one of the reasons we do these, these meetings for people. And I would say probably half the time, half the time I'm meeting with somebody, I look at what they're investing in. And the problem is not what they're investing in, it's their understanding of what they're investing in. And somewhere, some internet website told them that, you know, making money was easy. You just got to follow these simple formulas and you're going to do this, this, and this. And then they ha have a book that you can buy and a course that's a few thousand dollars and, uh, or a service where they're going to, you know, manage the money for you. Uh, and it's why I called the website that I'm launching, Look Out for the Bull. The, uh, it actually has many meanings. You always want to be looking out for the next bull market because that's when stocks are going up really fast, by the way. And you can identify when that's happening. You can't predict when it's going to happen. There's a big difference there. And again, we'll, we'll be talking about all this stuff going forward. I just, I was going through stocks and this is interesting. I talked about this company a long time ago and I remember uh, a client who wanted to have his daughter invest in it. And this, this is a company called Zoomia's. And I don't know if she bought it or sold it or not. Uh, at the prices that we were talking about it, I was like around 14 or 15 bucks. It got up to 40. It went back down to 20. It got back up to 40. Went back down to 15. Goes back up to 30. And this is over about a 10-year time period. Is that something you really want to buy and hold? Really? You're going to buy it at 15, watch it go to 40, come back to 15? You're not going to be upset by that? <laughs> I would be. You know, and I am the uh, buying and holding is not, it's just not smart. And by the way, that's a, um, a retailer. And I know everybody thinks that, uh, you know, Amazon's going to run all the retailers out of business. Clothing retailers, by the way, it, that is really hard. Amazon's got their hands full with clothing because you know how hard it is to do the returns on that. Maybe it gets easier over time. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking of the day when you stand in front of your television and it measures you uh, and the cut the clothing that you're seeing specifically to fit your body. And I, I've seen some apps out there that actually show you in the outfit. 
which I think is kind of funny. The, uh, so at some point in time, yeah, the, the regular retailers will not be necessary because the computers with all their artificial intelligence will be able to show you what you're going to look like in these things. And uh, then they'll have them custom cut, manufactured, and shipped to your home. I know people are going, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, that's ever going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't think we'd get the Dick Tracy watch either. <laughs> that's here right now. It's called an Apple watch. Yeah. And I remember talking about that. And guess when that was? 1996. Okay. It didn't get here for a while, but it finally did. And it's here now. So actually the uh, uh, phones don't really do the, the video conferencing like they do, but you can talk on them. I have a cellular phone and it costs me 10 bucks a month. How cool is that? Anyway, I think my time is almost up. If you've heard anything that you'd like to talk about, if you'd like to talk about your own personal situation, feel free to give me a call. I, I promise I'll keep my tone down. <laughs> I won't yell at you at all. And uh, I'll be glad to take a look at your situation, see if I can help you out in any way. Uh, Bullington Capital, we kind of specialize in, in, I like to call it financial freedom planning. That's uh, being able to walk away and not have to take a pay cut while relying on your investments for income. Uh, that's a very big task. And sometimes you need some help. Uh, sometimes you just like to talk to somebody about it. So feel free to give us a call, set something up. There's no cost. Yeah, you can get on the calendar and I'll be glad to discuss your situation with you. And by the way, I am a fiduciary and everything we say, I am not allowed to talk to anybody else about uh, without your permission. So now they hear the music. That means my show is definitely over. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420 The Answer, also available on The Fish as a podcast, 955thefish.com. Thanks for listening. Good to have, uh, have a good weekend and good luck. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.